Welcome to the Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Lauren Gallagher. Thank you for joining episode two of two as we continue the conversation on mining towards 2050. What does the new normal look like for the mining industry? How can mining companies unlock environmental, social, and corporate governance? What does implementing the path to net zero mean for mining companies? Today, we're once again joined by David Bleicher, Wood's Global Mining Sector Leader for Environment and Infrastructure. Hi, David. Hi, Lauren. I'm excited to be back. Also joining us again is Mike Walashuk, Wood's Global Technical Leader for Mineral Processing. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks, Lauren. And we've also got Julian Sparks, Wood's Global Mining Strategy Lead. Good to be back, Lauren. Thank you all for joining us again. So while the mining industry appears to be weathering the financial storm better than other sectors, there are social and economic shocks that lie ahead. A recent study shows that 75% agree mining operations have been significantly impacted by COVID-19. 65% expect fundamental changes to operational models. What does the new normal look like for the mining industry? If you're looking at what things are, what's changing at the moment in the mining industry, Lauren, it's the application of digital. We're looking at an increased use of data and an increased appetite of miners to use their data to improve their operation. And how do we get the data to flow all the way through these different systems? That's sort of the number one challenge. This is and this very similar to a project that we're doing at the moment in Chile, where we're looking at taking the operation of a mine and moving it away from the mine to a city, to an office building. So instead of you know, going up in trucks and going up to an insane altitude, like 4,000 meters above sea level where they can barely breathe, they're going to an office building and they'll be operating the mine from there. It's safer, it's more comfortable for the people. And this is sort of the general spread as we're using computers more to operate better. That's where we're going. So for me, Lauren, I think post-COVID, we're going to see mining companies rethink the supply chains uh, to be more resilient to unplanned disruptions such as uh, COVID, and and also a transition perhaps to more local supply chains uh, where there's regional warehousing uh, to stock uh, critical materials that don't uh, interrupt their production, and uh, and also an expansion so that there's a wider range of providers uh, of goods and services to the mines. I think uh, post-COVID, we're going to see a more rapid adoption of of, uh, innovative technologies, Uh, you know, replacing traditional human-driven processes on site with more technology, uh, decisions that can be made remotely. As Julian mentioned, uh, mining control rooms that are located in cities reduce the amount of people that you have to have at site. And uh, these people can be employed uh, downtown and opening up a larger talent pool to mining companies. And so we'll see more of that shift of people working from home. I think as uh, you know, autonomous fleets in both open pit and underground become more common, we're going to further reduce people from the sites, uh, creating a more safer and productive op- operation. Uh, we'll see more use of 3D technologies, augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and data analytics, uh, both in the operations and in the projects. And we'll see decisions that traditionally were being made at the mine sites are now being made remotely. So I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I think what the coronavirus has done is to really accelerate uh, the trend to digitization, right? We can't always get out in the field now. It's tougher to travel. So we look at things like um, doing a 
high def drone flyovers to uh, to inspect things, and then maybe having someone local go in and and uh, get us some photos on the ground and jump up and down on the spots that that might concern us. But I think there's more that we can do with uh, automated um, measuring and automated instrumentation, and then flagging. Uh, events that might be of concern and, and utilizing AI in there as well to help us with that. And then I think, you know, on, on the communication side or the disclosure side, we've got a great, um, we've got some great tools that I don't think we're fully using to help us disclose that data, things that the public may be interested in that are going on around or near the site. And, and I think we can do a much better job of, of sharing that. And I think that's all, you know, all going to come with that digitization of, uh, of our data and the mine site. So when talking about the future, how are companies challenged in driving these shifts? We spoke about the adoption of technology that's going to displace traditional roles on mine sites. So if you run autonomous mine fleets, uh, you don't need people driving those trucks. So that creates a perceived social challenge. And I think mining companies are going to need to ensure that uh, in addition to the increased economic benefits achieved through adoption of, of these technologies, that there comes a balanced social benefits over the entire life of the mine. So the reality is, while we're going to be losing some traditional positions, um, we're also going to be creating new jobs uh, that are technology focused uh, in an industry that's going to be better able to manage use of energy, um, you know, water and emissions, and, and that builds stronger partnerships with local sh stakeholders, which, which is going to be important. And I, I think we're going to see that, you know, data and digital literacy skills are going to be in demand uh, through all phases of the value chain. And it's going to redefine the mining workplace of the future. And so mining companies are going to have to identify uh, what, what these skills are uh, and, and, and the talent that they're going to need and communicate this. Uh, to the new generation of people that, uh, you know, we want to attract to this industry. Well, you, you know, you're right. And we, we need to be a little bit careful uh, because one of the benefits to the host community when a mine comes in, of course, is economic prosperity. Certain, you know, individuals get uh, increased employment opportunities. And some of the jobs that we're automating are the jobs that those individuals may, um, you know, may be eligible for. So, so there may be fewer of those. So we need to make sure that we're putting the training programs in place so that the local community can capitalize on those opportunities. Totally right. It's a, the, um, that, that we need to move the center of where mining has been to a new location in terms of how we deal particularly with society. There's a lot of work that has to be done to establish a new balance uh, so that mining is seen as a helpful part of society at the moment, but communities are more likely to say, no, not in my backyard. And that's the thing that has to be changed. That's the challenge. Let's turn the discussion now to unlocking ESG value for mining companies. Miners have been under pressure to set, track, and report against ESG targets for some time. And today we're seeing a growing number of majors now setting ESG commitments as stakeholders have ramped up their expectations. What's driving the need for more accountability and transparency? Yeah, transparency is a good way of putting it. It's uh, There's an increased need. Uh, you're looking at, and this, is the, this whole movement of ESG is not being driven 
by the mining companies. It's being driven by their investors. And it's being driven by investor needs, which is to reduce risk. NI43101, which is the rule book for investors in the Canadian stock markets, was not created by the government. It was created by people looking to invest in projects. And this is what's kind of happening in terms of ESG. You're seeing investors who are seeing a long-term risk for mining companies. They're seeing a long-term risk of not getting environmental consent, of not getting social buy-in, of not being allowed to operate. Everybody's talking about cobalt because it comes from the DRC and you know, the way it's mined is extremely unethical. Um, so you're seeing a foray by BMW. They've gone to DRC and they've built a mine. And they're producing their own cobalt. So they know that that is ethically mined cobalt. And so coming down the line, when they say, you know, you say, okay, BMW, I will buy your car, but is it ethically produced? They can say, yes, we can prove it. Here we go. Third party certification. Um, So that's kind of how this has come about. And that's kind of the way it's going is it's an an ever-growing movement to show social responsibility, environmental responsibility. And it's because investors want to reduce their risk. So, so the latest, you know, in my field would be the global tailing standard. And it came about from the three, the most recent three big or, or headline tailings failures, one in Canada, two in Brazil. And so, interestingly, it is driven by, by, the, by the finance industry, right, by the investors themselves. So if, if you want the money, if you want the investment money from the pension funds or, or the big banks or the, the brokerages, what you need to do is you need to follow the standard. It's a demonstration that ESG is, is good business, right? So, I mean, you, you have to do it. Uh, it. It can be tough for governments to do the same thing, and they can't influence things that don't happen on their soil, but the financial industry can decide what they're going to finance. There is a requirement in the standard as well for increased disclosure, so that communities understand what's what's happening in their uh, in their area with the mine, and so that's going to require a a fair bit of work for the mining companies because it's not enough to just post the data. We're going to have to make sure that there's enough context and explanation and education of the stakeholders that they know how to interpret the data. And then I think what we're going to start seeing is we're going to start seeing you know the the consumer driving things right. So. You know, we saw it with conflict-free diamonds, right? You know, they don't want the blood diamond um, to commemorate your anniversary. You, you want the, the conflict-free diamond. And then the concerns with where the, uh, where the cobalt is being sourced. So th- that gets into a consumer-driven item. So if, if, you're, if you're producing something, if you're a miner producing the metal, and the only way that you can get the investment money to build your mine is to demonstrate ESG principles, and the only and you can get a premium price for your product if you're if you demonstrate those same ESG principles. Those are pretty powerful drivers on the industry to uh, to make some changes and and to commit to it. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the top comments already made by by Dave and Julie and I would echo that. I mean, uh, investors don't want to see uh, you know tailings dams fail, uh, and and uh, you know as a significant uh, financial implication to them. Uh, so, you know, a lot of this is driven by a stronger license to operate. I think uh, we're also seeing, uh, you know, uh, a new generation of people uh, that are saying, wait a minute, uh, we don't like uh, what's happening to the environment and we want some changes. So, you know, on, on the energy, uh, you know, transition, energy accounts for about a third of the mining cost base globally. So it's a significant, uh, uh, you know, uh, part of the of the uh, pr- costs for mining companies. So there's 
pressures uh, uh, to reduce those, but also to be cleaner. And I think the, you know, an opportunity for hydrogen, for instance, to decarbonize, uh, you know, uh, you know, operate a mine that uh, doesn't contribute to global warming. So I think the generation that's coming behind us, uh, you know, is, is going to be putting some demands on, on the industry to adopt these changes. So let's talk about what net zero means for mining companies. A recent survey of the top mining companies reveals that nearly 30% have committed to reaching net zero targets by 2050 or sooner. Many others have set targets and climate related aims. What does implementing the path to net zero mean for mining companies? Uh, I think what we're gonna see is, uh, you know, in, in 20 to 30 years, mines are gonna be in, entirely driven by renewable energy. Um, I think, you know, hydrogen is going to play a part of that, uh, supplemented with, with solar, wind, hydro, geothermal. And we're going to see reduced water consumption and, uh, you know, new technologies that perhaps enable uh, dry mining applications where, where water isn't used at all. And uh, we're seeing some of that uh, vision already happening in, in uh, some of the developments from technology suppliers. I think pushed by new policy uh, stakeholders and investors, uh, they're going to ensure that our industry is not damaging the environment. What Max says is absolutely right. It's a complex path that has to be done to um, to get through, um, and we're being driven by, uh, well, I, you could say ESG, but also by government and by the general realization that our carbon production is threatening our long-term sustainability. I think 10% of the world's CO2 is produced by mining. It's a horrible statistic for us. And if you say, okay, what about you know, the, the majors? And you've got some guys who dig up coal, you've got BHP and they produce oil. You know, what about the people that use the oil? So you, know, you drive a car, you use petrol, you're producing CO2 with something the BHP that helped produce. Right. So what are, you, what are we doing about that? What are we doing to reduce that the downstream use? Not only you know, how much carbon you produced in making the stuff, but how much carbon gets, gets uh, used down the line using it up. Uh, these are the things that have to be addressed to get to a site where you say, what does my industry do? What does my industry um, contribute in sort of the, is it a harmer or a helper? And it's not sustainable to be a harmer anymore. I don't think you can overstate how much the global economy is going to have to change, you know, between now and say 2050. Um, and, and let's face it, if, if you don't, if you don't grow it, you mine it, right? Everything uh, that we have is, is a result of either mining or, or growing things. Mining is the beginning of the supply chain for, for almost everything. So we need to really go step by step and identify what needs to be done next, right? How do we get from where we are um, to 2050? I'm not sure we know all the steps yet, but we'll get there step by step. I think we have a long way to go yet in terms of uh, recycling, you know, designing things so that the components are easy to recycle and making sure that we've got the facilities, you know, and, and distributed facilities so that we can recycle things close to their disposal point, not necessarily their manufacturing point, and, and generate more materials and thereby, you know, reduce, um, you know, the amount of resources that we need to take from the planet. And then, as Mike says, uh, you know, renewable energy, 
right? And that's a technology that's that's here now, and it's economic now. And we're seeing a number of mining companies start to uh, start to implement that. And, and we do need some jurisdictions need some regulatory changes, but uh, you know that's that's being implemented now by a lot of mining companies, and I think we'll continue to see that grow. So, what will it take for mining companies to succeed in achieving net zero? And, uh, you're, you're saying 2050. So and it's a long way off, and we're not expecting a giant quantum leap as we're going to get there. This is a this is a series of small steps. Um, we have to make a, a lot of small steps in the next 30 years to get where we need to go. And a lot of it is the importance is that before you know, 30 years ago, the production of carbon in a mining operation was irrelevant. It was not considered. Now it's important, 30 years from now, it is absolutely essential. So you're going to see it becoming part of our decision chain. When sort of, as mines are created and as they are developed, from, you're going to see it you know, creep into NPV calculations. We're going to start uh, discounting or punishing mines that have bad carbon results compared to some that don't. And just like that, uh, engineering companies like us, we're going to find ways to improve these NPVs, uh, uh, to prove the, the value creation of a mine by adding you know, little innovations or changes as to how you deal with carbon to the project. So it could be photovoltaic, it could be hydrogen, it could be electrical, uh, the, the full electrical operation. But we're going to be incentivized to make the mine a better mine. And that, I think that's how we're going to be driving forwards towards this 2050 solution. Yeah, I think you're right, Julian. I think, uh, you know, mining companies that are incentivized uh, to, to, to drive this shift uh, you know, the carbon tax, uh, you know, that's part of what's driving the shift as well. I think if if uh, mining companies can prove that uh, the closure liabilities are significantly lower with, uh, with, a, with a more clean uh, life of mine plan, then their uh, closure bonds up front will be reduced. So that's money that they can take now and invest in driving innovation rather than having to, to have a large closure bond up front. So I think those are some of the ways that uh, we, we could get some traction in, into the shift. Considering all the little steps you have to take to achieve net zero. I'm wondering, how do you determine where you are today? Yeah, Lauren, I think, uh, you know, some some monitoring and, and industry benchmarking and visibility uh, would, would be one way. We need a process to be able to compare to our peers. So, you know, understanding how much energy uh, consumption per ton of material that you produce or how much fresh water consumption per ton, uh, your disturbed footprint, those are all metrics that uh, you know we should demand we should be demanding uh, that information being disclosed from every mine site just like we do a resource uh, or reserve estimate uh, I think if we start to publish that information and that visibility is there for mining companies then they can gauge where they're at uh, who's doing better uh, who's not you know doing so well and, and there'll be a, a sh uh, more of a sh drive I suppose to uh, improve. This is uh, organizations creating benchmarks, third-party assessments, mining companies signing up to those so that the investors at the end of the line can look at a whole list of metrics and make their informed decision where they want to invest. And they can do it based on, be it capitalist drives to make the most money or to make a difference or to, you know, if they want to be, choose a long bet and be it safe and they want to make sure that the mine mining company has every little box ticked to make sure you know it's a sustainable and equitable operation, uh, and 
that those measurements is where we will then come in as the engineers to start making modifications because once the data exists, it'll be very easy to see where the easiest changes are. And of course, there's going to be commonality between a, a large number of these operations and we'll be able to address these uh, one by one or in groups, you know, sharing the savings, sharing the benefit. New technologies will come in on top of that, and it's going to create a cycle, a beneficial cycle, um, which is it's going to take a long time. Uh, that's why we're saying 2050 and mining companies are saying 2050. But everybody is pulling in the same direction. So David, once we know where we are, where do we start if we're going to decarbonize our assets? So I talked a little bit about you know the global economy or the global supply chain, but you know if if you're looking at one particular asset, then yeah, you you do need a particular methodology, and and you know some of the smart folks have come up with uh, with what we call SCORE, you know the SCORE system at Wood. Now SCORE is uh, you know it stands for uh, substitute capture offset uh, reduce and evaluate um, because you. you if you can't get progress if you don't measure it. You need to know where you are, and then you, you need to track uh, where you're going and how fast you're going to get there and how you're going to get to the next step and the next step so that you can you can evaluate which investment is having the biggest impact on, on your decarbonization. So, you know, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to evaluate. You're going to look for ways to optimize your process so that you're reducing your energy intake. Maybe that's through a change in blast pattern. Maybe you can get uh, better ore selection, as we talked about at the very beginning, with where is that ore in the process, get get more efficient there. We talked about substitute, you know, a little bit, because maybe that recycled material substitutes uh, for some of your ore feed in there. And, and that it becomes even more important than with the recycled to know where things are on the conveyor belt with the automation that we talked about. So... Uh, you know, I think there's ways to do these things, and and um, you know, we've got some smart folks out there that are uh, that are working on these things. And that is something. It's if you look at what we're doing, uh, our office in Australia, um, they're involved with um, a mining operation, which is first, it's the benchmarking of their carbon, so that that they've gone through the operation and benchmarked it, and then uh, using those benchmarks, they're creating a roadmap. So that they can, well, they also want to monitor sort of to the second where they're at in terms of their carbon production. And then that gives them the possibility to create this roadmark to decarbonization of the assets. So you obviously start with what you said, David, the lowest hanging fruit, and then you start making logical decisions as to how we can you know, change things to reduce that carbon. So one thing is clear, we cannot predict the future, but we can imagine possible futures to help guide our solutions and decisions. What's one thing in mining you believe will be possible by 2050? Mike, do you want to kick off? Yeah, I think we're going to see fewer people at mine sites. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, you know remote operations, uh, a lot more data-driven, a lot of intelligence, uh, a lot cleaner, uh, more technologically advanced operations than we see today, and it'll catch up to the industries that we've been historically we've been, been behind. David, I think we're going to see a whole new world in public disclosure and community engagement, and I think that world is going to be driven by investors and by customers. Uh, you know, 
two forces that uh, maybe haven't engaged on those things in the past. They've been mostly price conscious, but I think those, those two elements are really going to drive us towards uh, increased public disclosure. That, of course, comes with the challenges of communicating some, some complex ideas, but I'm sure we can do it. We're up to it. And Julian? I think we're going to see a, a complete change in the relationship that mining has with the rest of the world. Um, it's going to be a part where mining is seen as a positive uh, component of society and a responsible actor in society. And that brings us to the close of episode two of two on mining towards 2050, where we talked about the new normal, unlocking ESG, and the path to achieving net zero. If you'd like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights on mining, please visit us at woodplc.com slash podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood Podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making the impossible possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and be well.